Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. I'm Dana. And I'm Abby. And no, your ears do not deceive you. This is another episode of Scary Stories to Tell Your Sister. Except I am not the sister. Okay, as you heard in the intro, I'm Dana. Hi, normal sister here. And here we have Abby. Me. Hi. Not the sister. Definitely not. But the sister is currently traveling, so she cannot record based on the schedule. Because we've been in a lot of traveling. Schedules have been messed up. So Abby lovingly stepped in. And by lovingly stepped in, I said to Megan, it's okay. Maybe Abby will record with me last minute. You know what, guys? I'm very great at rising to the occasion. She is. Really good at it. She's good under pressure. So we didn't want to leave you guys without an episode. So here we are. The stars are shining. Yeah. I'm a great swing, you know? Swing. Dana. Yeah. How was your week? It's Friday. This is definitely coming out super last minute. As I said, it's Friday. This is the episode that's coming out this next Sunday. So under the wire, I'm doing good. I think I didn't fully recover from our trip to Michigan. It was it was a harrowing trip. Harrowing <laughs> trip. Abby and I did the math, and I think in a span of 72 hours, we got maybe 10 hours of sleep. In total. It was... It was- it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot. There was one night where I gave up on living and just went to crawl in front of a fan on the floor and slept there for an hour before I had to go to the airport. Yeah, it was rough. There's no there's no other way to describe it. It was so lovely to see a family that I hadn't seen in years upon years yeah. and like check out old places like, oh, here's my old house. Oh, this is my elementary school. These are the swings I used to swing on. Yeah, I think, you know, it wasn't like a vacation, like a vacation. It was just in your old haunts kind of thing in in a 48-hour span and seeing family and like reconnecting. And it was lovely in that aspect. But I think it wasn't the mental and physical vacation. Thankfully... I had a day off of buffering in between vacation and coming back to work. And thankfully, the kids in my care are pretty decent this week. The eldest starts school, so thank goodness. Thank goodness. Love her to bits, but there is something about having three kids and constantly going that I just kind of need the school to be when the other two are napping, being like, do you hear that? Silence. Even if it's for like five minutes. I'm going to sit there and stare at a wall. That's all I need. Wall staring is great for the soul. It is. How about you, Abby Kadabi? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Definitely still tired. I think, like you said, just not really recovering post-vacation. But yeah, work has been good. Yeah, we're actually... We're actually working together this weekend. And then doing a little road trip. So, that'll be nice. Yep. We're actually going to see the sister in real life. We are. She's coming up to our neck of the woods. Hence, she can't do this. She's traveling for a work thing. We're going to see her for dinner. 
a drive-by dinner and head back and do some more work. So <laughs> one day I'll sleep. All all the life. All the life. All the and then next week, depending on when this comes out, obviously this comes out the tenth. Yeah, it comes out the tenth. According to very early projections, we could have heard next weekend. So there's that. Awesome. Just keeps getting it. Keeps on keeping. But we won't know till midweek, so we'll see. Either way, I hope everyone is doing okay. I'm tired, but I'm ready to be scared. My topic this week is something I hadn't fully heard of before. I stumbled upon it, weirdly enough, because I was looking at a map that I saw that was talking about some of the most famous cryptids. I was about to say, did you do a cryptid? I did. I did. I, I, have, I think I was talking with you or Megan about this, how I had previously been doing a lot of haunting stuffs, which are great. I love them. But I haven't been back to my old faithful yeah. of, like, cryptids. Gotta get back to your roots. My roots. I but I got the uh, Sasquatch sticker on your laptop. Yeah. I have that. And then I have, do I have, do the bat? I have my, I believe, UFO, my Sasquatch in the mountains, and my little bat. I thought I have a Mothman stuff. Mm-hmm. You got me some Mothman stuff. I did give you a Mothman stuff. I don't know where it went to. I am one of those people who has a hard time committing to stickers. It took me so long to put stickers on my laptop eons i had stickers on one of my water bottles and i don't use the water anymore so i'm really sad that those are on that water bottle it might be the water bottle in the car no it's my old old then i came across sticker books which basically you can put the stickers in the book and it doesn't lose stickiness it's like the backing so that is something i want to invest in no this is not sponsored but we'll accept it if it does i was like hi this is the thing about sticker books use the discount code sisters for 20% off your next order of sticker books. That does feel like the perfect sponsored content for you. It does. It's like, do you get scared about committing to stickers? So do I, but not anymore. <laughs> anyway, I was looking at the map. Gorgeous map. It's a really cutely illustrated. I was talking about famous cryptids in each state. And I was like, that'd be such a great topic to cover each state. And I was looking through it, and I noticed one over in California. And then there was this listicle that went along with the map, but it was actually not based on the original illustrations. That makes sense. The first thing I looked at was an article. The article had the map at the top and then listed each thing. But the creature they listed for this state didn't match the illustration so i clicked on the I, I like did my little researching thing and i found the og map and with that map i saw what it was what can i guess what you're doing you do not know what this is i don't know what it is but you told me the name of it before you realized that i was going to be on this episode and then you said california uh-huh i think i know it. what I is what it is is it the fresno nightwalker Nightcrawler? you not the fresno nightcrawler those are something I really want to cover as well because those okay. scare the living daylights out of me. Have I you seen them? No, not at all. But I was so nailed in with that guess, though. You were really like, good. So it's in California, and it's so... Is the name similar? It kind of. Okay. So, Nightcrawler. Mine is called Dark Watchers. Okay. So, it's night oh, and dark. That. Yeah. And then Walker... No crawler and watcher. So. Yeah, yours sounds terrifying. Yeah. I don't want to know more. Goodbye. The end. Uh, Stay safe. Stay spooky. <laughs> so I'm going to read a passage of a short story from John Steinbeck first. 
No, Grapes of Wrath. This one's called Flight. Here it goes. Pepe looked suspiciously back every minute or so, and his eyes at the tops of the ridges ahead. Once on a white barren spur, he saw a black figure for a moment, but he looked quickly away, for it was one of the dark watchers. No one knew who the watchers were, nor where they lived, but it was better to ignore them and never to show interest in them. Mm. They did not bother one who stayed on the trail and minded his own business. Honestly, I'd be safe. <laughs> I'd be so safe. 100% <laughs> be safe. I, I was at the house today because I got off work early doing some things to help clean up around here. And I was washing the dishes and something fell in the closet. And I just continued washing the dishes. And I said, I'm scared. But I don't need to know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Not stupid. All that, though, by uh, Mr. Steinbeck mm-hmm. is awful. Yeah. So, as I said, this week my topic is the Dark Watchers of California. More specifically, in California and the Santa Lucia Mountains or the Santa Lucia Range, which, which runs along the coast of California from, like, Carmel to San Luis Obispo County. So, all that area. It's about 140 or 50 miles long. And it also covers, like, Big Sur is in that area, as well as, like, Monterey County. Just name some places you might know to, like, visualize. Yeah, okay. Um, And it's about, I think, it's never farther from 11 miles from shore. So that's how it is because it's important to know the, the destination to it because for a while the mountains were the last things people would have to cross to get over to get to the coast area. And they were very treacherous. They're they're one of I think it said somewhere that it forms the steepest coastal slope in the US. Okay. So it's about uh, so it's five thousand one hundred fifty eight feet from the coast to the highest peak. So it's not, not you know, it's a little day hike thing. So for hundreds of years, people have reported the feeling of being watched or catching sight of something in the distant cloak and watching. So the Spanish explorers in the 1700s, when they were traveling oh, through California to the coastline, they had to go there. And they were the first people to kind of report about it. And they called them. Los Vigilantes Oscuros, which literally translates to the Dark Watchers. Yeah. So the mountains were the last thing they had to cross. And it was none too safe back then, let alone now. It was important to them. And they would feel this unease. And they would see these humanoid entities. Yay. And so that's something they saw, which probably sort of dead to them. No, 100%. So, obviously, scaring the living daylights out of them. Totally. But years later, American settlers often reported seeing something similar. And the timing of these are around the same time. Okay. It's that golden hour, pretty much, that we love. And either twilight or dawn, when the light is just kind of breaking through. And everything's in that haze. Yeah. So I thought when you said, like, timing was the same, I thought you were talking about, like, months, as in, like, it was around October when they noticed that. Oh, interesting. No, you're talking about every single fucking day. 
Yeah, not every single yeah. day, but like around the, basically most reports like are like, oh, I saw the hibernating. Yeah, no, it's not like a they're every second Tuesday of March. Cool. Yeah. Um, no. So it's that time of day which we love though, when like the leaves are golden because like the sun is hitting them just so, and especially if there's like dark storm clouds in the background. Yeah. Chef's kiss, bower kind, as my mom would say. But no, during this time. They see figures that would go between 5 and 15 feet in height. So a nice average of about 10 feet here. That's with. enormous. So, yeah. 15 feet? Our ceilings are not that tall, but... Oh, I feel like they're tall? I feel like they're tall. Feet. Yeah, they are. So, say like mid-window. Yeah, no, that's awful. Okay, that's so awful. you're seeing this dark figure, very tall, with, occasionally with wide-brimmed hats cloak sometimes and walking sticks and the occasional and humanoid so the occasional okay. glowing eye yeah sure sure but it, but there's no distinct features okay because people they say don't approach them yeah sure and they say cool bean got it and they're always in the shadows but will come out if you're close it said they don't interact with people just follow behind and it's rumored they don't interact with those who use modern technology. Which also lends the mystery and the folklore of it all, since if there's no technology like cameras or phones or even like GPS equipment, they'll not show up. So there'll be no proof like, oh, I saw them at yeah. this coordinate. So it's like, but you could have said you saw them. But a lot of times people say if you're the ones using like walking sticks or things like that, they kind of appear more so. Maybe it like reminds them of like, oh, you're one of us. One of us. Yeah. Some say that they are migratory entities that have exceptional sight and hearing and follow along with travelers on the range, though why they remain for so long and continuing on the same path is something that no one's really tried to explain, nor how the reason why the majority of people who have witnessed that felt the unease of being watched, but not the terror of something like hunting yeah. Like people are saying, yeah, they're like we feel we're being watched, but we don't feel that like they're coming to, they're gonna come in like kidneys. Yeah. Weirdly enough, all of Hamilton's lady, she's also known as a you know, Steinbeck's mother. Oh um, she would yeah. often tell stories of her actual interactions with the dark watchers, which probably okay. you know could have influenced his short story. Yeah. And also his son Thomas wrote a book later on in life about the Dark Watchers as well. Mm, so his family is, is very into, into it. Yeah. But with Olive, she said yeah. that when she was younger, she worked as a teacher or worked at a school and would have to walk over those mountains when it was still dark in the morning just before sunrise and throughout the sunrise period. Mm. So, you know, perfect watcher time. And she would often sense and see the watchers going so far as to interact with them. It was said that she would uh, she would bring with her in the morning gifts or offerings, like food, like fruits or nuts, and she'd leave it in a little alcove on her way to school. And when she would return at the end of the day, the watchers would have left gifts for her in return, like mm -hmm. flowers. They're like crows. No crows. Oh my God, they're crows. They're human crows. Humanoid crows. I love them so much more now. And Thomas said this of his grandmother. He said, talking about her being fiercely honest, she was the type of woman who, quote, 
she couldn't see it, read it, or hear it, or touch it, or taste it. It didn't exist. So for her being like, why would she wax poetic about shadow figures leaving her flowers behind more often than not if it wasn't something she truly believed in? Yeah. And I just want to be like, put this out here too, is there's a lot of talk about the indigenous tribes in the area had many tales of like stick people or those who roam the mountainous areas. Okay. But it was also pointed out that although the tales of it go back to the early like 1700s, 1930s, the local Native American tribe is a Chumash tribe. They don't have any records of the Dark Watchers in their area. So a lot of things say, even the Americans have it, but I looked at more research and it says they don't have any actual records of that. But some tales are passed down which suggest that they may have been there at some point, but it's not part of their actual lore and tradition. Of- Got it. Okay. But they might have tales about it. Give that little two cents there. Yeah. And there are some other brief examples of people encountering the Dark Watchers that I found. And here's like a couple I found. And then I'm going to go into some possible explanations. This one um, I found on Reddit. And it's talking about my husband and I were in California a few years ago for the wedding of my ex. It's like, yeah, I know. Strange. We actually got an invite. He and the new wife took us to Big Sur near the Santa Lucia Mountains. As we were out sight- sightseeing, I looked at the mountains and asked them of the thin statues on the peaks. My ex and his wife looked rather scared and asked, oh my God, you saw them? I asked the story was with the statues. I said, they're not statues. They are the dark watchers. The local, let's say the local tribes know more about them, but they've been here since the beginning of time. It's like that creep me out. Yeah. And I thought, I saw statues. And someone's like, yeah, no. What are you talking about? I think I burst into tears. Yeah. 100%. Well, we all know how scary statues can be from that freaking Doctor Who episode. Oh, the angels. Yes, the oh, big angels. Absolutely. So fucking scary. I think that scared me. I think that scared me so much because I think I saw that at the time when I was still living near the cemetery. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, everywhere. Everywhere. Like, obviously. I was like, nah. I don't need that in my life. I always need that in my life. I love Doctor Who. Okay, so that's that next one says, I've been deeply interested in the Los Vigilantes Oscuros ever since I read John Steinbeck's book, Flight as a Teenager. I've also personally witnessed something in the mountains of Northern California that might have been something like this. It was a hugely tall figure standing on a bridge in the distance while my wife and I were hiking. At first, I thought it was just a tree shaped like a person dressed in a robe wearing a wide brim hat until it walked walked to the left and we both looked at each other like, what the fuck did you see? No, listen. If we ever happened upon anything like that, I would wildly vacillate. Abject horror and like standing stock still or screaming. There's no. I don't think you would scream. I don't think you would stand still. I think you'd like hook your arm around me and drag my giant corpse behind. Like, I don't care if you're dead weight, you're coming with me. Yeah. Like, even we, because one time when Abby and I first met, we were on a walk on a carriage lane. And it was around this same time, that like twilight dust time. And it was a little bit later because I think it was a little bit more blue. You know how like dusk is more like gold and then it gets that blue twilight area? And it was past the time of these events taking place, but it was still in fresh pop culture memory. 
Because they weren't actively happening, but it was close enough in time where you're like, do you remember? No one will ever forget it. The clowns. The clown incident when people were like, Mageddon. We're just coming out of like what dresses clowns being creepy, creepy clowns. All those college campuses. Oh. So anyway, we're walking and Addie just says to me, is that a clown? Mind you, Abby and I are both blind. Like, I'm going to be legally blind one day. Glasses. And I never have the proper prescription to be like, I can see clear. Well enough. Far away. And I said, what? A little slowly up to get out. I said, is that an effing clown? Pretty much. And she said, and I quote, I'm not waiting around to find out. Yeah. Dana said, I don't know. And she continued walking. And I said, I'm not waiting around to find out. And I dragged her away. And we went back to the car. So that was in like the suburban township carriage lane. So if we're in the woods and that happens, especially if it's just us, not our dog. If it's a dog, we're dragging him and ourselves. He'd probably run before we so this last thing is talking about not the dark watchers specifically, but just the general vibe of the place. It says, I used to live in Monterey, which is on the northern side, about 30 minutes from Big Sur. I'll say this. You can feel the history in the whole area, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It says, go, on, go stand on one of the points at night and just look and listen. No, I don't want to do that. I said, <laughs> I can make it in the daytime. It's an amazing area, and I miss it there so much. I've read about the dark watchers and having driven and stayed in that area many times a night. I could absolutely see where stories like that come from. It feels like a different place and time when you're out there. And it's, it's first edited to add, there's a lot of military history here, too, with the old base. Between the native history area, the Catholic and Spanish settlers, and the military history, it's easy to feel the things and sometimes see things in that area. I've had an interesting experience with things, never the dark watchers, but other things I can't explain. So here are some things that people say is the reasoning behind why people see the dark watchers. The first the person the first one is pareidolia, which is a psychological condition in which our human brains make it so we see something that's familiar to our brains and patterns and shape. Like when we see faces in outlet, like a Virgin Mary in toast. Or crackers, or me saying I saw a dolphin up in the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically like people, they're saying people see the watchers in the shadow or spaces between trees or the trees themselves in the dimming light, which the brain says, we don't know what we're seeing. So we're going to go with a creepy cooked figure, which I feel like our brain would do. 100%. That's one thing, which I is absolutely into what that, that condition is or that thing and it's such a cool thing how like people like do you see this this shape and you're like oh my god i do see a screaming pepper as a cut in half or i do see a face in this thing the second thing that could explain them is something called the brock inspector and this one because kind of goes hand in hand with the first reasoning that has a more scientific background as to why so both of them are kind of like your eyes are playing tricks on you but different things the first one is your brain's like do you see the human this one is more so scientifically based in what i'll explain (laughs) it's native for the brocken peak of the hard mountains in germany and how for a long time 
there would appear to be magnified shadows on the cliff's peak, leading to those who viewed it to believe that there was something out there. But it was one of those perfectly timed moments when the sun would angle just so, and the mist would still be heavy enough to catch the shadow upon it, and it would disappear quickly. So just for that moment, you'd see a shadowy figure watching you, but it was actually your yeah. own solar silhouette on the peak. Yeah. And it was angled just so the peak was there, and sometimes it had like a halo of light around it. There'd be mm-hmm. extra things, you know? Yeah. So that's one thing. But people are saying, does it really make sense that that's not consistently seen in one spot then or different things like that? Because like the Broxton Peak is that same right. thing. And then there's lack of oxygen or hypoxia. People suggest the sightings come from the elevation and the height which the hikers hike the elevation in which the hikers, explorers, tribes, and settlers were at when they viewed these watchers, and the prolonged amount of less oxygen led them to hallucinations they saw. Yeah, but I feel like my my thoughts with that theory is that like wouldn't they all probably hallucinate something different then and not uh, be yeah. able to describe them the exact same? Yeah. Thing? Oh, yeah. That's such a point. I didn't think about that. Smart cookie. You're a smart cookie. So yeah. And there's another thing that people say the watchers could be actually like a group of migratory people who still live in the woods. Okay. And abs- avoid travelers in the mountain range, but sometimes like come out to guide them. Some of them lead to. The- Go ahead. I'm sorry. Fifteen feet tall. I don't know. Who knows? No, I guess. Did, did they say? Did I say they were human? No, humanoid. Yeah. So it could have been like a thing of maybe aliens. People yeah. say, and some say they are here to help people who wander off their path, being like, "No, no, no, not this way. Go back." Because mm. they have like great hearing and sight, being like, "We know where you're gonna go. What you're gonna do." Okay. And the last thing is my favorite. Something I didn't know before, but I'm fascinated by in a scientific and human aspect. It's known as infrasound. This is the final reason people want to use to debunk or explain the cryptic phenomenon. So infrasound is any sound between 7 and 19 hertz. The lowest a human can hear is about 20 hertz. Got it. And interestingly enough, sometimes the wind can generate an infrasound as it moves through the tree. So we can't hear it, but our body still reacts to it. Yeah, interesting. Because it talks about, there was a study done in 2003 by Richard Wiseman in regards to infrasound and the reactions human have with it. Richard and and several of his colleagues collected 700 people at a concert hall, and they played four pieces of music for them two of which employed infrasound of around 17 hertz. According to Wiseman, in a quote from the British Association for the Advance of the Science, he wrote, quote, These results suggest that low-frequency sound can cause people to have unusual experiences even though they cannot consciously detect infrasound. A little less than one-fourth, around 22% of the people, which would be about 154 people, they felt anxious, uneasy, and fearful during that time. They even said they felt their hair stand up, chills up and down their spine, and even a pressure on their chest. Okay. The further study done in 2008 by a psychologist named Christopher French, and he used infrasonic generators in a, quote, haunted room. So he told people it was haunted, and he used the thing, and it would lead the subject to feeling odd, pres- feeling presences, 
feeling dizzy and legit terror sometimes. So, if it was any of those, though, one question remains. How are the flowers left? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you find yourself in the mountains of Big Sur, are you going to leave a plate behind? I feel like I will, just to honor it. Right? I really love the infrasound things. It yep. makes you think of like that feeling again in the woods. If it's like wind coming down, your body's like something's happening. You don't know yeah. what. But your body reacts to that thing. Right. And it's just an interesting thing. I wonder how many like spooky things, like that spooky vibes are just our body reaction to something we can't hear yet. Totally. That is so interesting. Wow. So yeah, that is the Dark Watchers. Wow. Well, I hope they're not watching me ever. And I will let them Yes, I don't need them in my life. I don't want them in my life. I want them in my life from a far, far away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, are you ready for me? I am so not ready. Because I heard you're just scared. Well, as long as I've done my job, it is. Okay. Hem, are you ready? Hem. Okay. Here. As we talked about earlier in this episode, Dana and I just got back from a family trip to see my aunt, brothers, and cousins and all of their dogs. There were a lot of dogs there. They so were all so cute. Love them all. Good Sweet babies. Boys and girls. In southeast Michigan, this area of the Mitten State is known for many things, including Aretha Franklin, Henry Ford, the University of Michigan, <laughs> and its beast of a football team, <laughs> and one of the most haunted places in the United States, Eloise Psychiatric you excited i'm very excited i abby had given me this topic to try to cover before and i just couldn't do it my brain couldn't like wrap around certain things and so i was excited to learn more about it i got it and please interject with anything that you've heard as yeah well. so i figured this would be like a great topic for us to have like a back and forth on yeah no so. i'm so excited all right i am from the same town where eloise sits forlorn on 902 acres of land in westland michigan for those of you who, like me, have no ability to comprehend measurements, imagine about 850 football games. Holy crap. Yeah. Or 452 soccer pitches. It's enormous. The building now referred to as Eloise didn't always have this title, which is good, as it was named after the postmaster's daughter, because the postmaster was committed to improving conditions for the poor. Now, I know that I have some issues with my dad, but if someone ever named a poor house after me in his honor, I would run. With humble beginnings as early as 1832, it functioned as the Wayne County Poorhouse and Farm, which is not a typo. Poorhouse was a building where those impoverished could go and work and survive on government funds. A mere two years after its inception, the poorhouse was in poor condition. Mm -hmm. I'm really proud of that one. 280 acres in Nankin Township, which has since been incorporated into Wayne County, was close to Eloise, but was purchased to help improve the Eloise buildings. Buildings and land were purchased like people playing the board game Monopoly. A tavern known as the Black Horse Tavern came to serve as the keeper's quarters, and in 1839, an A-frame building was put up to house 35 people who had been living in a poor house in Hamtramck Township. They were transferred over to Eloise. Okay. It's important to point out that 111 of the residents of the Hamtramck Poor House refused to go into what they called the awful wilderness. And that, unfortunately, a great many of those who refused to go were children. It's believed that new homes were found for all of them, but, of course, there are no recruits. At this time, the inmates, or residents, of the new Nankin Poorhouse became known as Dun. Dun. Patient. Oh, yeah. 
The complex, which by 1913 had grown to three divisions, the Eloise Hospital, which was the mental hospital, the Eloise Infirmary, which was the poorhouse, and the Eloise Sanatorium, which was a tuberculosis hospital. It was fully self-sufficient. It had its own police and fire departments, as well as a railroad and trolley system. So it's like Disney. No, I'm trying I wish I was falling along really intently. No, I was trying to think of, my brain was just trying to wrap around the poorhouse aspect of it. I hate the terminology. Yeah. Is it almost like like a homeless shelter type kind thing yeah. but more of like a we work together as like yes. a community-esque yeah, thing totally yeah. okay um, and then it reminds me of like not not happy Disney right but like a Disney has its own like yeah it's like fully like a city basically yeah, yeah 100% I went to Disney's hospital yeah there was in Eloise there was a bakery an amusement hall a laundry a post office and a the farm was huge, with cows, dairy barns, pigs, a piggery, a root cellar, a tobacco curing building, and multiple greenhouses. Eloise housed the first kidney dialysis machine in the state of Michigan. Oh, wow. And pioneered the use of music and art therapy. Two big wins in a story where everyone else loses. I was going to say, I was like, yeah. Wait, Please, no. Wait, Eloise. No. Yeah, no. I no. Yeah. No, no, we'll get into more. Starting in 1839 is housing 35 residents by the Great Depression. About 10,000 people were there. And, like, obviously I know it's very big and that's fine, but I don't think it's big enough to... No, house 10,000 people comfortably? No. And the the size of a a city's population. Thank you. My brain was not working properly. And also the thing is they may have, like, big land. It's the housing area. Michigan gets right. cold. Michigan gets hot. So it's like right. you're having the proper, like, shelter and, like, proper cleanliness conditions for, like, the sick patients and tuberculosis. 100%. Yep. Yeah, no. Yeah. After its peak in the Great Depression, the population started to dwindle and the farm stopped operating in 1958. The psychiatric buildings were vacated in 1973 with the patients being fully transferred out by 1982 when the state of Michigan took over. <laughs> The regular hospital closed in 1986. Huh. Not the psychiatric hospital. I was thinking but. about, like, when I think of a lot of the times, like, haunted things and mm-hmm. things like that, I tend to think of them as much older. Mm-hmm. And closing well, in 1986. Is- yeah, but I think I push them as older into they stop being used old times. Okay. And obviously I am old, but 1986 was when Megan was born. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Like, like it was still in yeah. use at that time. Like, oh, I, I get it. I had the same kind of thought because I was like, holy crap. Like, the psychiatric buildings vacated in 1973. My parents were born before. That. Yeah. Like, so my like, grandmother was born in 1938. Yeah. Like, she was aware of Eloise functioning as a poorhouse. Yeah. Functioning as, like, a tuberculosis. Yes. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. And it's, like, this yeah. huge area. And not only that, but, like, Eloise was freaking huge. So it must have been like a monster of a thing. Yeah. And being like, and did they slowly close it down or was it like all? It seems like it, considering the fact like the state of Michigan fully took over in Uh 1982. Like the psychiatric buildings began to be vacated in 73, but all of the patients weren't fully transferred out until 1982. Five years later. Yeah. Now, when you said a monster of a thing, let's let's touch on that a little bit. 
Okay. Now, this does get kind of triggering. I don't really go into details, but yeah. I do mention experimental therapies, things like that. Yeah. It was a terrible place. Yeah. A reporter wrote an, a, a reporter for the Detroit Free Press wrote an excellent Halloween piece on Eloise a few years ago, and he spoke to the respect that should be paid toward the real traumas inflicted there. Nolan Finley said that from its inception to its closing in 1982, it served primarily a desperate, miserable clientele. Eloise was a last resort and often a last. Stop. This reporter covered Eloise's closing back in 1982 and heard harrowing tale after harrowing tale of the horrors inflicted on mentally ill patients while the psychiatric hospital, the largest one in the entire United States at the time, was still running. Patients were regularly tortured with experimental therapies and terrible conditions from a dearth of funding from the state. And that's something that gave me pause. It's such a hard thing to cover. You're doing such a fantastic job on it. It's because it's like these were real people that were suffering in our lifetimes pretty much, you know? And like, and the way they were treated as less than things like that is just so appalling. And I think it's important to bring light to that aspect. Yeah. And being like, hey, these things actually happen. And also talking about the repercussions of things that linger on. Right. Let's honor the history. Let's honor the people who were hurt here, yeah. you know, and not just get like or shits and giggles. Exactly. Like, and this terrible things. thing happened. They go into so much details. Yeah. It's like, no, no, these are real people. Yeah. Around 2015, a hidden cemetery was found by local residents who grew up alongside Eloise. It was literally like a plot of like overgrown grass and like it was a field that yeah. people would just pass all the time until somebody was suddenly like, you know what? Like, I've heard that there could be a cemetery here. Let's go. Graves were totally unmarked. Like, no, there was nothing there to indicate that yeah. they were buried there. The burial grounds were thought of as local legend and folklore until the neighbors decided to go onto the property unearthing. Are you ready? Yes. 7,100 unmarked hidden graves. Holy crap. Yeah. And let's remember, at the peak, the peak population time of Eloise, it had 10,000. 7,000 people died in that building. And no one cared to. Yeah. The group, the Friends of Eloise, are working tirelessly to preserve the history of the facility and identify thousands upon thousands of patients who were discovered there and their graves. So I really wanted to shout them out and yeah. talk about the important work that they were doing. Now, you might remember that I said Eloise was known to be one of the most haunted buildings in the U.S. Are you ready for some stories? I am ready for some stories. Many poltergeist-like activities have been seen through Eloise, from doors slamming open and closed to rusty medical carts and tables just flipping over. No. Yeah, I'd be about, pissed, like, too. Big surgical tables yeah, being and the thing, flipped. Yeah. And the thing is, they always say, you know, there's a big theory in the supernatural communities and stuff like that, and I've, like, heard things podcast or shows the energy it takes for whatever yeah. it is to move some or make the yeah. thing flipping those huge tables must take a shit ton of energy a lot of anger shadowy figures seem to ooze and drip through the ceilings and the walls two ghostly children have been seen running through the hallways and they disappear when they turn the corner lady has appeared as a white vapor and has been seen in one of the still standing buildings people have been able to record her voice as she whispers help me i'm sorry (laughs) others have claimed to see the ghost of a doctor wearing a bloodied smock prowling the hallways as he searches out an unlucky patient 
Others have seen a ghost drenched in water, backing up the evidence as this hydrotherapy was practiced there and not the good kind of hydrotherapy. Audio tapes recording several different paranormal investigations of the cemetery have revealed threatening voices warning people to leave. Explorers have claimed to find jars of human body parts and snapshots of patients, and others have heard moans, screams, and roars that ring throughout the entire building. A building employee who wished to remain anonymous claimed that an incident where a few children went up a staircase on the outside told him that they saw a guy just sitting on the steps. This employee also constantly saw shadows moving along the walls and floors. All of the photos that I've seen of Eloise have had the worst dark energy you can imagine, and that's something basically everyone agrees on. Whenever I see a picture, all of the comments are about the haunting ambience, the feeling like something will start to crawl out of the floors or the walls or jump out at you at any second. The building was up for sale a few years ago, and the broker for the sale denied anything paranormal, but could agree to the fact that the vibes are horrifying and completely unsettling. Now, in an act of pure love and selflessness, I force myself to watch some of the paranormal investigations. I'm so happy. Yeah, I'm really, I really hope everybody else is too. <laughs> I remember you texted me and you were like, I think I need to watch something from a yeah. research. And obviously, we kept two really good standards with us being like, not going to tell each other what we're doing. Abby knew the topic of mine because I wasn't doing it with her at first. I didn't even remember the name. Yeah, of it, but though. you didn't know the obviously. Yeah, you said you saw the first one. Yeah, yeah, dollars. that's right. So I kind of love that aspect of it, and I and I give you uh, kudos for watching stuff Thank against you. your will. Thank you. I'll take all the kudos. Now, the Dearborn Paranormal Research Society of Michigan toured the parts of the building that the county would let them be in. Laura Wilkerson, their psychic, said that there was a lot of spiritual energy, both good and okay. Upon their tour of what was left of the firehouse, they happened upon a hole on the facade of the building. It was mentioned that many times people have said that if they threw a rock or a stick into the hole, it would be thrown. No. Can you imagine? No. Also, let me talk about this. You tell me it's not paranormal. Fine. Whatever. What is in that hole throwing things back? Who is in that hole throwing? I don't things. like these questions. Right? Because it's like, okay, fine. Take Pernal off the table. Yeah. That's fine. What is doing that? Yeah, absolutely. A trampoline happening. Yeah, no. Wilkerson said that she could feel countless restless souls, likely from those who came around with emergency services because they were at the firehouse. Okay. Travel Channel's destination fear toward Eloise. Dakota, Chelsea, and Tanner stepped foot into the building. And a few moments after their arrival, they heard going scream where like literally they walked in took a few steps and then somebody shrieked no yeah. then the audio on all of the cameras they were using started to fail one by one leaving staticky sound and silence as they crept through the dark hallways the building is so large that the group stupidly split up number one rule of anything Literally, we learn this in every horror movie, especially every horror movie that, like, mocks other horror, horror movies. You don't split up. Or you don't say, be right back. You, you won't no. be right back. No. Thankfully, it was two groups of two people in each group, so, like, they weren't alone alone, but still. One of the groups went up to the fifth floor, and once they got up there, one of them requested that if a spirit was around, they slam a door or do something to make their presence. Yeah. Move. A second after the request, movement could be seen down the hallway flurry of pale white legs running away. This reminds me of the shadows that people had sighted seeing moving on the walls and the floors. Flurry of... A flurry of legs? Yeah, just like running. No. 
The other team went down to the basement. Truly, I don't know which is worse. The basement did not fail to disappoint, unfortunately. On camera, we could hear something skittering across the floor above them. One of the cameramen asked if it sounded like running, and I wish it did as opposed to the crawling that I heard. You heard it? heard it. I did. I heard and saw all of these things. Oh. They weren't just like people being like, oh, did you see that? And yeah. not seeing anything. I so saw you saw it. the legs? You're welcome, everybody. Uh, at this point in the video, I reminded the spirits watching me as I watched this through my fingers that I come at this with love and light. As the team is continuing to walk through the basement, they hear the other teammates on the fifth floor come through on the walkie-talkie. Normal, right? Yeah. Except for the fact that when Alex, the cameraman, asked them to repeat what they said, the fifth floor team said they never said anything. Nor did they hear anything. <laughs> yeah. Back on the fifth floor, the team there decided to sit on the floor and conduct an EVP session. To my horror, they heard things. When asked, what's your name, the reporter picked up a mumble where it was clear that someone was trying to answer the question. And as they reminded us, since this was a psychiatric hospital, a mumble wouldn't be something that was uncommon if somebody couldn't yeah, if they were, express If they themselves. were completely sedated or, you know. On the third floor, disembodied voices had been heard as well as doors opening and closing. The teams then decided to leave the cameras and a REM pod in the building, and they walked the property out, which is also said to be very The camera, of fucking course, picked up footage. Shadows could be seen in the reflections of the metal doors moving up and down the metal over and over and over again. The REM pod began to beep and go off, and I really don't know much about the REM pod, but the team that left it demonstrated that the only way for one to go off is if something is right next to it. I do believe the theories that a veil separates the world of the living from the dead, or that hauntings are slips in times, but whatever it is, I need it to stop. Like, to just not be there anymore, yeah. you know? Like, I would love for all of these spirits to find rest and peace. Somehow. And that's the thing. I feel like with that aspect, it's like, there's so much, much anger and sadness there. That it's like, I need you guys to find the peace you need. So, for I, have so I have the peace I need. Yeah. And just like peace of mind for your peace of mind yeah. type thing. It's like, it's a terrible, terrible thing that happened. It's like, I don't want them to be. I hope, I hope that if it is something akin to what happened there, that it is like that time folding on itself. So right. it's not them reliving it again and again. It's just the yeah. moment happening in our time and their time. Simultaneously. So it's like, yeah, it's happened weirdly enough that we're the ghost to them and they're the right. ghost to us that they don't have to be stopping. Now, the building is now host to many kinds of official tours, haunted house tours, escape rooms, mm. and all of them are expensive. Tours throughout the area cost upward of $150 per person. To mention Nolan Finley, the reporter, again, if he's to look at the exploitation of the facility by bringing in countless ghost tours and making it an attraction any kind of positive light. It's that the delighted shrieks and joy of travelers will wash away the experienced in the Yeah, no, I agree with that aspect. I feel like with that, it's like where's the money going to? Yeah. Are you profiting off this like stuff like that? Are you putting it back to the community right. to help prevent things like this happening? Are you putting it back towards like mental health stuff, healthcare, yeah. things like that? At the point of the Dearborn Paranormal Society try mm -hmm. uh touring it there was a museum on the premises yeah. i don't know what year they toured it yeah whether it's still functioning 
And I feel like there is historical aspects to it of being this huge entity outside of the paranormal aspect. There is a huge historical thing like this happened here. We can't erase it happening. Right. So there's there's that fine line that, you know, everyone tries to walk and being like not erasing the history, but also not, you know. But yeah, no, you covered that beautifully. Thank thank you. you. That was a really good thing. I wanted to say something else. I don't know. I hate crawling and running. Um, I know the legs really mm-hmm. got me. Yeah. Yeah. No. But yeah, that was great. Thank you so much for joining me in this last minute. I hated it. I don't hate anyone leaving, reading, or reviewing. You can so find nice. us on Instagram and Twitter, mainly Instagram, let's be real, at Scary Sisters Pod. You can email us any questions, concerns, comments, or stories of your own. Our email is scarysisterspod at gmail.com. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Stay tuned next week for some more fun, scary stories. Until then, stay safe and stay spooky. Abby, love you. Bye. Hey. Oh.